This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. went down a top 10 team moved into the playoff picture and oklahoma state don't let the dough hit you with a good load split you let's go it's the number one college football show I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching the number one college football show on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got to go through the biggest games on the schedule for week 12. We got to start with the city championship in Los Angeles. My goodness, right off the top, number seven, USC, dumped number 16, UCLA, 48 to 45. In a game that was full of fireworks, offense, and defense was absolutely optional. Now, this is the first top 20 matchup between the two schools since 2005. That was 17 years ago. Your man was a high school football player playing for the Memorial Chargers. He's a 35-year-old man and a homeowner now. That's how long ago it was before this game absolutely mattered when it was supposed to matter, which was right here, right now, as both teams were looking to try to get into the Pac-12 championship game. USC clinches the spot in the Pac-12 title game with this win, and it's a tremendous win for Caleb Williams, who was absolutely fantastic in this game, absolutely lived up to his billing of Superman, over 400 yards through the air. He has had some outstanding games here of late for Arizona, Colorado, but this was the first really good team that he'd been able to show against since that loss to Utah. Now it's about who are they going to play in the Pac-12 championship game, Utah-Oregon is going on right now as we're doing the show. We will talk about it on the rankings matchup on Monday when you view the live show. But I was really enthused by what Dorian Thompson-Robinson was able to do in this game. It was clear to me that the man really wanted to win this game. As a matter of fact, Chip Kelly didn't have to tell anybody this, but he did. He said that he thought DTR should have gone to the NFL this year, that he should not have returned for an unprecedented fifth year to play college football. Yet DTR said, no, I want to do this. I want to be here. I want to see how far we can take UCLA football. And it was right up until this moment until it felt like it was going to be for real. This was a sellout game, by the way. Full credit to the Rose Bowl and the folks that showed out. 16,000 students bought tickets to this game. And it was epic. I'm glad that they were there for this. But I'm also glad that everybody got to see just what makes USC go and what makes USC not go. All right? Now. You lost Travis Dye against Colorado, and I had already said that was going to be a big deal. But Austin Jones, transfer from Stanford, who showed up USC only because he wanted to have fun, absolutely had fun in this game. You got to see Relique the Freak Brown coming out of modern day and, and what the Monarchs are giving away. You got Kyle Ford. You got Jordan Addison. You had outstanding play. We even see, saw Malcolm Epps make an appearance in this. And I've got to tell you, I was so excited to see Malcolm Epps playing some tight end once again because that dude is a monster if they could figure out how to give him the football. And all the while, Caleb Williams is leading that offense in a way that we've come accustomed to with him and especially with Lincoln Riley. 
But on the other side of the ball, USC is going to give up the yardage. And they are going to give up the points. But they're also going to get takeaways. And that was where this game was decided. After an explosive start for DTR, he had two interceptions in the first. He put the ball on the floor in the second. His hand was coming off it, so it seemed. Like they had to tape that thing back on. And then it was ended on a takeaway from USC, who has built their defense on that. That is what Alex Grinch wants to do. This is a man who commissioned a paper while as an assistant coach. How many takeaways does it equate to a win? To which he got back a really cool number. 20 takeaways by the defense would be nine wins no matter what the offense does. That's a pretty outstanding statistic. So he's always tried to get at least 20 takeaways out of his defense each and every year. And it's one of the reasons why you're seeing USC absolutely go after teams trying to get those tackles for loss, trying to force the quarterback into bad positions, and trying to get them to put the ball on the floor, be able to pluck the ball out of the air. Full credit to them for this win. I can't wait to see how this functions because, look, we're going to be talking about USC as a playoff team on Tuesday because, well, East Coast USC decided to do right by West Coast USC. You saw it. You heard it. We're going to talk about it. South Carolina upset number five, Tennessee, 63 228. There were over 1,100 yards of offense in this game, but 600 of them came from South Carolina. And my man, your man, Spencer the Rattler, had a game of games. I love this story and the way that it is played out for Shane Beamer, hell of a hell of a head coach, hell of a man, and Spencer Rattler, a five-star quarterback who lost his form, lost his job to Caleb Williams at Oklahoma last year transferred to South Carolina as Caleb Williams transferred to USC. And it hadn't been going well for Spencer since he got to South Carolina. As a matter of fact, he only had five TDs against SEC teams this year, but he had six today against the number five team in the country. He was 30 of 37 for 438 yards with those six tutties. But perhaps the biggest news of the day outside of this wild upset, 63 to 40, or excuse me, to 38, is that Hinton Hooker goes down with what was a non-contact injury. And shout to producer Tyler, who jogged my memory with this. It was an injury that looked not unlike the one that happened to Dennis Dixon 15 years ago, right around this time. I believe it's November 3rd, 2007 against Arizona. He cuts the wrong way, goes down going right. I believe Hinton Hooker was going left. We hope that he is okay, but it didn't look great. This was a man who was really in the running for a Heisman Trophy. And frankly, without getting too scootery, Dennis Dixon wins that 07 Heisman Trophy if he is healthy. Tim Tebow is not thought about in that way. Never has that opportunity because that's what Chip Kelly and Dennis Dixon were doing at the time. That's how it feels for Josh Heupel and Hendon Hooker. That is what he has become for the Volunteers. It was quiet at Columbia when he went down. That's how much respect Gamecocks fans had for him as a quarterback and his ability. And this is, remember, a place that rushed the field and threw up the fireworks after beating Tennessee 63 238. It meant the world to them, and I hope he's okay. I want to see him. But back to Spencer Rattler for just a second here. I remember when he decided to go into the portal, and I remember when he came out at South Carolina, and I really wanted to know what the offensive coordinator had to say to him because Shane Beamer does not really recruit for the offense in the way that, say, an offensive coordinator does. He's not really calling the plays. He'd always position himself to be a head coach. He never really wanted to be the guy with the play card. So Marcus Satterfield, Satterfield excuse me, comes up with the guy with the play card. And he called up Spencer. And this comes from a story that he gave to ESPN at the time. He said, you're pissed and I'm pissed. Let's come together and see what we can do. Play pissed off. Dude, people think you suck. You know what? People think I suck too. 
I've got a chip on my shoulder, and I can't imagine how big the chip on your shoulder is. Let's use that. If nothing else, Spencer Rattler and Marcus Satterfield have been vindicated tonight. They beat a team that was in the catbird seat to walk into the college football playoff on the strength of their resume without a division title, without a conference championship. They took that away from Tennessee and, frankly, gave it to USC. We'll see if USC don't fumble the bag, right? Pac-12 championship on Fox December 2nd. All eyes will be watching, right? Because they are in a position now to play and get in, which means that Lincoln Riley would have made the college football playoff once again for his first year in charge of a program. Did it Oklahoma three times, going to do it, it seems, with one win or one win left to go, right? It, it also is kind of interesting in that as an Oklahoma fan and having this institutional knowledge of Lincoln Riley, the offense, Caleb Williams, half the staff at USC, half the staff at South Carolina and the quarterback, I'm kind of all over the map tonight. I mean, I'm having a great time. I don't want to make that clear. But it has been wild as a college football fan to feel so invested in these three teams and what they were able to achieve tonight. Because, frankly, all three won. Oklahoma won, Spencer Rattler, and South Carolina, Shane Beamer won. And, of course, SC and Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Very excited about that. And want to see how the college football playoff committee takes a look at this loss. Because, you know, what we've learned about the playoff committee is that they don't give a damn about you losing to the SEC. Apparently, it just means more to get stomped on by South Carolina. Or we'll see. I don't know. Maybe they'll shock us and do the right thing and move up the folks that, you know, got fewer than one loss, fewer than two losses. I don't know. Maybe they're going to look at Tennessee and say, hmm, maybe Alabama wasn't that good to begin with. Maybe getting stomped on by Georgia means a little bit more than it did even a week ago, right? Some I want to take a look at, especially as we talk about another team that should be and was ranked ahead of the Tennessee Volunteers. That is number four, Texas Christian. Stunning. Baylor, 29 to 28. Now, we say stunning. Baylor's unranked. Texas Christian, number four. But that's all about wins and losses, right? This game, though, felt like it was going to get out of hand for TCU. Baylor looked in control. Blake Shapin was out there dealing. Dylan Doyle was playing fullback. And the guy from Council Bluff, Iowa, didn't look like the guy that we'd come to know. Until he came alive a little bit later on, that'd be Max Duggan. I think he did have a Heisman moment because he, he finishes his game 24-35, 327, a TD, and a pick, eight carries, 50 yards. But with about a buck 30 left to play in the game, that dude said, I thought we were going to go win the game. And he played that way, right? Like, we're going to get to what I think is really an interesting space to talk about what TCU has done in as far as – being able to line up for this field goal right here off of a third and seven with the clock running and no timeouts, 37 seconds left. You get this field goal off 40 yards as the clock expires. And in the post game, Sonny Dykes has the nerve to say, no, nah, I wasn't worried. We practiced that on Thursday. Yo, Sonny, put that on your headstone, dog. We practiced that on Thursday. Look, there was no reason, none at all, for Sonny Dykes to call a handoff or let Garrett Riley call a handoff for, for Amari DeMarcado to try to pick up four yards with no timeouts and 37 seconds left. It's a field goal. Give the man, Kel Griffin, an opportunity to settle himself. Even if they want to ice him, you just go with that. But a shout out to Dean Stryker, who actually had a pretty good tweet about this. 
when he says, TCU had Darius Davis, lost Quentin Johnston, Kendra Miller, saw Max Duggan fighting for his life, had plenty of self-inflicted wounds, still managed to win that football game. If anyone doubts TCU belongs in the CFP race after that one, you're fooling yourself. Shout out to Dean who came up covering Texas Christian and has an institutional knowledge of the space and the way that I do say about Oklahoma. I'm sure that he feels some kind of way about this, uh, being the guy that is on the news desk at 247. Shout out to Texas Christian and Texas Christian fans. Matter of fact, I saw a tweet from a, a buddy of mine that said, Texas Christian has nine lives. And I said, you know, Spinal Tap, these go to 11 because they are 11 and 0. They are 11 and 0 for the first time since 2010. The last time they were 11 and 0, they finished 13 and 0. They won a Rose Bowl with Randy, Randy, with Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, as their quarterback. Think about what Andy Dalton is doing now. That's how long ago that was. My goodness. All right. So, one of the other things I think to take away from this win is just that the kind of defense that we saw on display from Baylor and from TCU could not have been more different, even if it looked to have sort of the same shell, right? I found it interesting that Joe Gillespie just kept firing. He said, we're going to man up. We're going to try to dictate terms. If you get catch us out of rhythm or catch us out of space, have at it. But his guys ended up answering the bell over and over again. Johnny Hodges, Travis Hodges and Tomlinson. Those guys showing up in a big way. Blood Clark had an interception that looked like it was going to end in a TD in the first half that changes the complexion of the game. They came to play. And then on the other side, Dylan Doyle leading that defense in their being but broke, don't break fashion, playing their soft zone. I also thought it was interesting that, you know, Max Duggan's from Council Bluff, Iowa. Dylan Doyle is from Iowa City, Iowa. I wonder what it would have been like if those dudes had gone to Iowa. That might be just a little bit of me teasing you for a little bit ahead. But shout out to Texas Christian, who is an Iowa State win away from going 12-0 and and marching in to the Big 12 championship with an opportunity like USC to punch their ticket to the college football playoff. And wouldn't it be cool if we got to see Garrett Riley on one side and Lincoln Riley on the other side going at it in a semifinal, dare I say it, a national championship yeah, I said it, but I want to say it so that I get it out there first in case it happens, but I'm with you. I would be shocked, just like I was shocked that South Carolina could do what nobody thought they could do tonight and knock off Tennessee. That's why our sport is the best sport in the entire world. It also means that, you know, we get our clunkers along the way, and we have to deal with that the best way we know how. That is my segue into number three, Michigan, coming back to beat Illinois. 19 to 17 at the big house. All right. So there's a lot to go through with this one. Not the least of which is Blake Quorum goes down, grabbing his knee in the first half. It was really an interesting play for him to go down on. It looked non-contact. It looked bad. But when he got up and walked off, I felt a little bit better about it. Shout to Jake Moody, who was just icy all game. And you could see why he won the Lou Groza award last year and is in the running to do that once again. But the thing about Blake Quorum going down is that when he came back out, he got a loud cheer because people thought he was going to play. And he did for like one, one rush in the second half, one rush. And I'm sitting there going, you better sit him down. You have the game next week. And if CJ Stokes can't get it done, should you even be in the running for the college football playoff? To which I asked this question straight up and down. Is Michigan a playoff team without Blake Corum? The answer, I think you will agree with me is no, which is another way of saying that is how important he is for your football team against really great football teams. I get that Illinois started off pretty strong and is still going to have it's, is a good football team. But it is one that you should be able to beat without Blake Quorum and without Donovan Edwards, especially at the big house. 
but it got hairy there toward the end because frankly, JJ McCarthy should have gone and won this game for you. And it looked like he was going to have an opportunity to slip away from him as Chase Brown was getting stronger running the ball, as Tommy DeVito was finding his feet, as Isaiah Williams was finding space. Really, it kind of got it kind of got nasty there toward the second half, too, because we had another Michigan tunnel incident. So halftime, you could see that Brett Bielema was upset. He's berating officials and kind of want, uh, wanted to know why. So the broadcast informs us that Michigan had not come out of their side of the tunnel on time. And Bielema was livid in the tunnel, yelling about, hold them back because we're coming out. They had their opportunity to come out on time. They have not. We don't want another incident. We don't want to make this a thing. I think that that was really stand up with Brett Bielema. And I also think that Michigan ought to be able to give some explanation as to why. We know that you have this tunnel situation. We know that it's become a situation. Why? Because the last time we said it wasn't a situation, Michigan, Michigan State, you know, it only happens with them at Ohio State when they're playing at Michigan. Okay, cool. We let it go. Now it's happened again. Apparently, if you're in a ball game, it could be at any time which means that you probably need to give that a little bit more thought and some cooler minds can come in there and really drag people out of locker rooms or hold people back no matter what it takes to get there. Uh, I also thought that it was really great for Brett Bielema to acknowledge his heartbreak and give the Illini fan base and his players an opportunity to be cool about it too. He sent this tweet to all Illini players, coaches, and especially for our fans we will work all week in practice to defend this play, especially on fourth down family. Again, lost his mother earlier in the week. Uh, complications, uh, wanting to get a knee replacement so she could come to games to see her boy coach. And I thought it was really cool of him to share. Dallas Clark had sent him a text saying, hey, moms want to see us do what we love doing. He loved to play football. You love to coach football. You should go coach football. He showed up, and I think his, his men showed up for him too. There's nothing for you to be sad about, or I should put it another way. You should be proud if you're an Illinois fan, not just of this game, but of this season. Yes, you've had some losses that probably shouldn't have happened, but my goodness, if you'd have told me that Illinois was going to be in a ball game against a Michigan team that is defending its Big Ten championship, that is undefeated, and you have an opportunity to finish the season with nine wins, I think you take that, man. And I, I think that that deserves its own place of honor. And I think that's when we're talking about college football playoffs shouldn't matter that much. It's because these moments do, right? These moments mean the world to us. And I was really impressed by Illinois. On the flip side, okay, just going to throw this out here as we move into this topic. Number two, Ohio State holds off Maryland 43 to 40. I've used this opportunity every time that we talk about Ohio State, Michigan to to question like for like, to put the comparisons together. What did they do against Penn State? What did they do against Iowa? What did they do against Indiana? What did they do against Illinois if they get to play them? Indiana beat Illinois. Ohio State pantsed Indiana. Okay? Okay? Indiana beat Illinois. Ohio State pantsed Indiana. Then we get into days like today where Michigan looks rocky again, but they get to hold up their record of being 42-1 and in games where they lead at halftime on Jim Harbaugh. And then Ohio State comes out and says, okay, maybe we can go slow too. Not so. Maryland wants to give you the business, okay? Everybody wants to give you the business. And quiet as it was kept, last time you played at Maryland, they gave you the business too. 52-51, you escaped with your life. In this game, it looked once again like Ohio State was going to be fighting for its life, and it was. Uh, shout to Talia Tongavaloa, who kept answering the bell. 
getting waylaid and then finding a way. But as he was fighting away, Travion Henderson goes down late. There is no Mayan Williams in this game. Again, we're asking questions about how deep is the running back room at Ohio State. And Dallin Hayden says, it's actually quite deep, sir. It's really deep, sir. I had 27 rushes for 146 yards and three tutties in this game. And I said, you're right, True Frosh. And I see in him a great comp to what Trey Sermon meant to Ohio State down the stretch in 2020. He showed up in a real way. Matter of fact, Ryan Day had said, up until he had his breakout moment in November 2020, we didn't know what we had in Trey Sermon. We only knew that that was the dude that was on the winning side when Baker Mayfield and them came to town. We thought he was good enough to help, back to help us out. Turns out he was right. Now, after Zach Harrison called game with two sacks back-to-back, one that forces the fumble, that Steel Chambers picks up, runs back in to make it 43-30 to 30 when it was 33-30 to 30 and then 36-30. to 30. We're talking about Ohio State and Michigan being 11-0 for the first time, respectively, since 2006. Okay? That's really exciting. It's really exciting because, well, the winner of that game played in the national championship. Now, uh, Coach Meyer would probably like you to, you know, not remember that he was on the Florida team that beat the Ohio State team in that national championship game. But, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why you wanted to coach at Ohio State and get you a national championship like he did. Now, I find this to be fascinating and fun because I think the Heisman Trophy winner will come out of Ohio State, Michigan. I think it's going to be either Blake Corum or C.J. Stroud. One of those two dudes walks into the Big Ten Championship game, they win the Big Ten Championship, that's your Heisman Trophy winner because, frankly, the Heisman doesn't think that it needs to wait until after the bowl season to award its Heisman Trophy. You know, I mean, nobody else does either, but that's what makes the sport kind of weird sometimes. We're going to give a quarterback-driven award, running back-driven award to, you know, somebody in November or on the day after the conference championship when the votes have to be in. I will have more to say about that as we get closer to December, but right now, the focus should be on, can Ohio State run the football on Michigan? Can Michigan run the football on Ohio State? And then, who can stop who, right? I really think for the first time in a very long time, these two teams are much more evenly matched than they have been, man, recent memory, quite honestly. Like, trying to go back to the last time I felt this good about it, and maybe it was when I was 18 in 2006, when you had Chad Henney on one side and Troy Smith on the other. Feels like it shouldn't have been that long, but that's where we are, right? And now you have two teams that look really good to have an opportunity to play in the national championship. Very excited about that. Okay, number one, Georgia beat Kentucky. This was, like, weird to watch because Georgia led Kentucky 9-0 to zero at half, but Kentucky only had, like, three possessions in the first half. And then Kentucky doesn't score until the fourth quarter. So the Georgia defense does what the Georgia defense does against Will Levis, who's on one leg. But they still give up, well, 100-yard receiver in Barry and Brown. All right, and then a Georgia offense, again, just looks pedestrian. Like, I keep saying we got to keep Stetson Bennett in the Heisman Trophy conversation because Georgia is the best team in football, but he is certainly not the best player in football. Matter of fact, Kenny McIntosh had 143 yards on the ground today, I believe on 19 carries, and he's your player of the day in the SEC's game of the day. I'm not really sure what to do with Georgia as they go and play a Georgia Tech team, which might actually be a little bit more spunky than we might think. That's also a tease. But more to the point, is it just that Georgia only wants to play the games that they know matter to the rest of us? Because that's how it feels. Now, on top of that, Georgia becomes the first team to go undefeated in the regular season in back-to-back seasons to, since 2008-2009. I believe that's 
wait a second, it's probably in the rundown. I'm not going to say it because I could be wrong. But it's the first time it's happened since 08 and 09. And then, well, this game don't really matter for no college football championship, no national championship, no playoff spots. But doggone it, it's the biggest game in the world to me. It's Bedlam. And I've been trying to hype myself up all week, talking about, you know what? It's time OU showed who run this state. Why this state named after us? It's a lopsided series. We don't even call it a rivalry because that's how we be. Boy, I was scared. I, I, was, I was scared. And then Brent Venable, Dylan Gabriel, my man Drake Stoops, your man Drake Stoops on Senior Night said, RJ, for the final Bedlam matchup in the Palace on the Prairie, we going to hold it down. We going to hold you down. We going to put up 28 on the post in Norman. Who been talk, talk, talk. All I've been doing is talk, talk, talk. Y'all got beat by Texas. Yeah, okay. Y'all got beat by Kansas State. We're seven and three. We're bowl eligible. You're five and five. You're going to have a losing season. Like hell. Okay? I, I just want to say that I was having a really great time watching Bedlam and didn't need to score no more points after the first quarter because he still beat them 28 to 13. Didn't matter that Spencer Satters had 300 plus yards through the air because he reverted back to 2017 Spencer Sanders, 2018 Spencer Sanders, 2019 Spencer Sanders. I'm saying that because he was on the roster, but he wasn't actually there. Point is, man threw four interceptions in one game. And he should have thrown five, quite honestly. Like Billy Bowman dropped one. I'm just like, yo, pick that up and run that back. You know what I'm saying? Run it up. Because all we're doing is talking about, well, it's Oklahoma's fault that Bedlam's not going to happen no more. Oklahoma State, I'm on your schedule. Who are you? If you don't want this game, this game made you, all right? If you don't beat Oklahoma in 2011, nobody cares about the best season in your history. Nobody. Not nothing, nobody. Transfer quarterback from Central Florida. That's who got y'all. Mr. Texas football is your quarterback. Okay? All right? I didn't want to hear no more talk about what Oklahoma State be doing or not be doing. Okay? Supposed to be winning the Big 12 championship this year. That ain't happening. Mm-mm, nope, nope, mm-mm, not, not even a little bit. Supposed to go back to a New Year's Six Bowl. Mm-mm, nope, uh-uh. And you know what? This was supposed to be the demise of Oklahoma football. We was not supposed to go bowling for a 24th consecutive year. We were supposed to have a losing season. For the first time since I was 10 years old. Not today. Over the orange-clad dead bodies. Take the paddle people back. Take them back home. Take them up north to Stillwater. Okay? All right? Tell the folks on the fourth floor at the English department I said hi. And also, go check the channel. You can still hold the mails. That one holds up. That might be the best Oklahoma State video I ever made. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad to see that Oklahoma has some fight left. I want to finish strong. Finish strong, baby. You know, Brent Venables needs the momentum. Get behind Brent. Do a little bit of recruiting. Get us some, you know, get some beef. On that defensive line, on that offensive line, go back to playing some Oklahoma football. Be all right. Be all right. Jackson Arnold's on his way. Don't know if y'all knew that or not. You know, five-star quarterback. You, 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 you'll get to know him. Well, Oklahoma State, you won't because you won't be in the Big 12. And Oklahoma's SEC, baby. All right. On the way out here, Georgia Tech upset number 13, North Carolina 21-17. As I was saying, Georgia Tech might have a little bit more spunk than Georgia is expecting next week. So we'll just have to wait and see. But my God, there's one play in particular where Josh Downs had a game-winning TD, and he just dropped it. 
Now, you're not supposed to be in a position to get Georgia Tech and ain't got no football coach. They got an interim, but you know what I'm saying? You ain't supposed to be there. And now you're nine and two. And now you got to play spoiler to Clemson. Play, play, please, please, good Lord, Lord, Lord. No, no more Clemson playoff, please. I'm with Joel on that one. I'm done. I don't even know that I like to see him play now. It's not fun no more, right? Because I don't think they're going to show up and beat the pants off of an SEC opponent. I think they're just going to get housed. All right, Arkansas upset number 14 Ole Miss, 42-27. Quinshawn Judkins continues to be a dude, 213 yards rushing in that game. Raheem Sanders had 223 yards on the ground. Great win for the pit boss and Arkansas in what I would come to be, you know, just them beating up on Ole Miss. I'm here for that. Big West update. Check this out. Illinois lost, so they're out. Minnesota lost, so they're out. Purdue won. So they're still in the race. If Purdue wins and Iowa loses, they are the Big Ten West champ. Iowa also still in the race. If win, if Iowa wins next week, they are going to the Big Ten championship game. So it's it's really up to Iowa. We could be right back where we started this entire uh, discussion when Iowa decided to show us that they don't have an offense to begin with. But you don't need no offense if you know you can score thirteen and hold them to ten. Right fast. Oh, Ibrahim. My goodness, can't wait to see what team takes that man in the NFL draft off an ACL injury. He's been a monster. That's his 19th straight game of 100 yards rushing and more. 39 carries, 263 on the ground, and a TD tonight. Hand that dude the rock. He is a monster. And then Jackson State beat Alcorn State, who ain't no good this year, but people get jobs off of being at Alcorn State. Just ask Jay Hobson and Willie Simmons. Now, Beating them 24-13 means the Jackson State capped off its first 11-0 regular season in school history. And to boot, Travis Hunter had a pick six and a receiving touchdown in this game. The number one recruit in the 2022 class showing it can get done, not just in an FCS school, but in HBCU. They are going to head to the SWAC championship, hopefully to the Celebration Bowl, cap off what Many expect to be an undefeated season. Then we'll see if Coach Prime is still Jackson State Coach Prime or Coach Prime elsewhere. We will talk about number 10, Utah versus number 12, Oregon, on the ranking show on Monday. And I can tell y'all, we are going to be joined by Ohio State quarterback and the Heisman Trophy winner, Troy Smith, to talk through the game, his presence in the game 2006, and what that Heisman Trophy means to him, what it could mean to Blake Corum or C.J. Stroud, dare I say. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. That is Gabe Gross Sable on the live stream switches for us tonight. Javion Duncan, South Carolina Gamecocks. Ah, ah, ah. He is our social media maven, Rachel Cohen. USC. Hey, send JV on some flowers. Here's our lead of screening. <laughs> and I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Monday. Deuces.